And I asked him what the secret to selling on wine was. And his overarching sentiment without giving away the secret sauce is you have to guide and handhold a customer through the purchasing experience. That is what they expect in every other e-com experience. You don't go on Amazon and look through 10,000 products. It says, hey, here's what you bought last. Here's what we matched you to. Go through this experience and understand what product is really meant for you. It's taking away that decision bias. My question to him is, why doesn't this exist in cannabis? It's highly personal. It's a heavily commoditized product. Everyone thinks it's the same, but it's highly personal. Your endocannabinoid system is different than mine. So why are we treating every recommendation like it's the same? That brings all of this together. I came in with the e-commerce experience. Wilco is now one of our advisors for the company. And Peter had his idea for this AI recommendation engine that was based on the underlying terpenes and cannabinoids of products coupled with user reviews. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Eric Mercado. I'm the co-founder, COO, and CFO of Terpley which is an AI bud tender focusing on e-commerce and in-store experiences to give science-backed recommendations to customers and guide them through the purchasing experience. My background is a far cry from cannabis. I'm about 18 months into the cannabis industry. My previous life, I was actually a big four auditor. So I spent about 10 years with Ernst & Young in client services, combination of audit work, transactions, due diligence, all that fun, riveting accounting work that everyone loves so much. I did the full gambit of different experiences that Big Four has to offer. So I started in oil and gas and real estate, actually, in Dallas, Texas. And nobody's really helping each other in those industries. That was one of the things I noticed right off the bat. There's no partnership. There is no ideology of the rising tide lifts all ships in those types of industries. So I didn't really enjoy my time that much in those particular spots. So I moved over. I did a couple of restaurant group IPOs, a couple of distribution companies. I worked for a international lead recycling and smelting company, which is exactly as glamorous and as beautiful as you expect. But ultimately, I landed in CPG. And the biggest home run of my career was actually an e-commerce growth leader called Solostove. If you haven't heard of them, they do the smokeless stainless steel fire pits. They've got a pizza oven. They got tabletop ones. Many people don't know they also own an origami kayak company called Oru, um, which I have a couple and they're really cool if you haven't tried it. They own an uh, inflatable paddleboard company, and then they own Chubby's, short charts. All they do is e-commerce. And that was really what ingratiated me in the e-commerce landscape, in the CPG landscape. Simultaneously to that, Peter, who is my co-founder and CEO of Terpley, and really this is his brainchild. This was his passion project when he was founding the Marshall Cannabis Institute at USC, which was the first business of cannabis organization at the school. He was the founder, led for two years, did a couple of cannabis SPACs. That's right when he took Kristen Yoder's terpene workshop, right when all of the new medical research for terpene analysis, cannabinoids, the entourage effect, all of that was coming to fruition. He basically saw this as data points. He was applied mathematics and finance double major at SMU when we were roommates, best friends, pledge brothers, have the same birthday, whole nine yards, right? One One of those friends that 
you leave school with a group of 50 friends, 45 of them are idiots, but you love them to death. And then you've got the five people you're like, this is going to happen. I don't know when, where, why, or how, but it's going to happen. That was the relationship that we left school with. So he came to me originally as a investor. I was like, hey, I'm in the middle of an IPO. How much money would you like to stop calling me? I love you to death. I believe in you, but we, I, I can't keep fielding these calls. And eventually it got to the point where I started listening to podcasts just like this. And I became obsessed and ingratiated with the opportunity in the space, with the woes that people were going through that I didn't see in any of those six, eight, 10 other industries that I had worked in. And I found an opportunity to really make an impact in a space. I was never going to make an impact in big four accounting. I was never going to make an impact in oil and gas or real estate. Here, we can make a true valuable impact that actually helps people. That was the background that really inspired me. When I was in school, when I was working 100, 120 hour weeks in the middle of busy season at Big Four, I smoked all the time. Not all the time, but smoking was my escape. It was the way for me to de-stress, decompress. I struggled with uh, chronic pain. I had a Actually, Peter and I have the same tear in our shoulder, but I was working like a gremlin with terrible posture all the time in the closets that were audit rooms. And I got to the point where I had a nerve issue coming through the bottom of my neck into my shoulder. I actually lost feeling in these two fingers for about six, eight months. And it was that moment where I realized, hey, this isn't for me anymore. Simultaneously, the cannabis that I was consuming stopped giving me the anti-stress effects that I had been seeking and that I'd been using it for throughout college and throughout the early part of my career. Something changed. My body chemistry changed. The chemical compounds of what was in cannabis changed. What products were available for me changed. And I never understood why. Peter then brought this ideology of terpene and cannabinoids to me. And he had created Terpley as what was going to be a three-sided application marketplace. Brands would provide the products and their COAs. Retailers would support the inventory and then a shopper could go on the mobile app and shop. We didn't love that business model because there's a lot of mobile applications out there and it would be tough to be successful, especially with the advertising model. So we decided to go where the people were. It was right at the height of COVID. It was 2020, early 2021, 2021. And people basically went from zero to 100. You had almost no online sales in many states. In many states, it was actually illegal to sell or list products online. Now, all of a sudden, it's required. It's an essential business. And the only way I can stay open is to sell online. So people just turned on whatever was readily available. And more than likely, it was Dutchie or Jane, because that's what was integrated with my point of sale already. That was what we what had to get done. I actually befriended the VP of Ecom at Solo through the IPO process down in the trenches. It's 1 a.m. He goes, hey, man, I could really use a joint. And I like triple took because we're in South Lake, Texas. I'm like, hold on. Did we just become best friends? I got um, you. <laughs> and, and he used to be the VP of Ecom at Gildan, Tommy John, Adidas, and then Solo. Guy knows how to sell stuff online. And I asked him what the secret to selling online was. And his overarching sentiment without giving away the secret sauce is you have to guide and handhold the customer through the purchasing experience. That is what they expect in every other e-com experience. You don't go on Amazon and look through 10,000 products. 
It says, hey, here's what you bought last. Here's what we matched you to. Go through this experience and understand what product is really meant for you. It's taking away that decision bias. My question to him is, why doesn't this exist in cannabis? It's highly personal. It's a heavily commoditized product. Everyone thinks it's the same, but it's highly personal. Your endocannabinoid system is different than mine. I usually consume and I am energized almost no matter what because THC is a very strong stimulant for me. My fiance, complete opposite. She smokes five minutes. She's out. Doesn't matter what we're doing, where we are, we're going to be out and she's yep. done. It's just because everyone's body is different. So why are we treating every recommendation like it's the same? That brings all of this together. I came in with the e-commerce experience. Wilco is now one of our advisors for the company. And Peter had his idea with for this AI recommendation engine that was based on the underlying terpenes and cannabinoids of products coupled with user reviews. So you have the underlying chemistry and then you have user outcomes. And what Terpene does is we basically are taking that Terpene analysis, those user reviews, and then we're augmenting those public reviews. So you've got public reviews like a Leafly or a Jane, not to disparage those companies, but many times those reviews are not the highest quality. They're many times not verified. They're not prime-gated. They're not geographically gated. According to some of these repositories, the Blue Dreams being sold right now in Michigan is the same exact Blue Dreams from Humboldt County a decade ago, which is patently untrue. So what we're trying to do is take the best and highest use of piece of information we have right now, which is the COAs of products that are actually on shelves, running those products through our recommendation engine, augmented with reviews that we're aggregating within the tool, all powered by loyalty providers like an Alpine IQ, to be able to incentivize customers to go through this process over and over, create that culture of trust, that culture of repurchase, and then handhold those customers through their buying experience. And then in the future state, being able to take their previous experiences and modify future recommendations based on your what you rated positively or negatively linked down to the underlying terms and cannabinoids. Okay, my brain is exploding right now, <laughs> like in the best way. I got to give some backstory too for the listeners. So we recently met in Denver. As you mentioned in your intro, you're from Texas, but recently relocated to Colorado. Obviously, it's no secret Colorado has way better access to cannabis than Texas does in terms of the regulated market, that's for sure. <laughs> but... Like just, whoa, crazy. The whole experience too, of your experience coming from other industries and obviously applying it to cannabis. There's so many places I'm like, wait, Eric, I want to dive in right here. So maybe let's start by understanding a little bit more. I think when you launched, you mentioned obviously COVID had an interesting effect on the industry where prior to COVID, as you outlined as well, and still to this day, although it's obviously changing, you don't see cannabis being able to be sold online and still in a regulated perspective, the customer can't like place an order online and be shipped those products. So obviously right. there's an aspect of e-commerce that is a little bit different. However, because of COVID, I think you had the acceleration of things like curbside pickup or obviously some states offer delivery. And so being able to go to an online marketplace, your hopefully your brand website, to your point too, I think, sites and no offense to them, but Jane and Leafly or even Weed Maps, they hold hostage the brand's experience because it's through another platform. And, and I say hostage very specifically, meaning that data is oftentimes not fully accessible to 
that brand or that dispensary owner. And so I want to understand from your perspective, what you're seeing from a tech space? Is it something that you're observing with clients specifically in Colorado or there are certain states that are more advanced having access to this opportunity to be able to use the website as the mechanism to guide consumers through this e-commerce perspective? I just want to unpack cannabis e-commerce from your point of view right now because it's changing really rapidly. And so I just want to understand what that means. It's so I'm going to start macro and go micro. Great. So macroeconomic, if you look at the percentage of sales that are happening online, like I said, you went from zero to 100 for a little while. That has regulated to what I think forecasts, at least within materiality, what forecasts thought it would be. Generally speaking, in the US, I see somewhere between 30 to 60% of sales happening online for retailers. Canadian market is a little bit different. They haven't quite captured that market as readily. It's probably closer to sub 10% of sales are happening online. And this is still just cannabis. 30% 30 of cannabis transactions are happening online. Yes. So, and but it depends. Some mature markets that where they have a, a huge focus on it, if you offer delivery, that number might be 50 to 60%. It also depends on where your demographics are, right? If I'm up in the Upper Peninsula and I have a very local population, they might enjoy coming into the store. Many customers that I have or many retail partners that I have think that they have the best in-store customer experience. There's very few that I think people actually enjoy, Right. You feel like you're herded in. You feel like you got to, you better know what you want already, or else it's a little bit embarrassing because you look like a novice. That's even worse in the newer markets. And so, in the newer markets that I'm seeing, the Mississippi's, the Alabama's, the New Jersey's, the New York's, a lot of people are starting their experience online. I have a theory that I cannot prove whatsoever that over 75% are starting online, even if they end up purchasing in the store. To your point, I can't complete the purchase unless I am using like a Dutchie Pay. Generally speaking, I can't complete the purchase online without a credit card. And credit cards aren't accepted in the vast majority of locations. So the full-fledged e-commerce experience really can't happen yet. I've still got to go into the store to pick it up. But if you look at the way that customers are shopping, you look at the demographics of customers that the primary customers that are consuming cannabis... They were raised in the age of technology. They're going to start by searching. I've seen a bunch. I saw Matt from Deep Roots. I saw Jeremy. There's a bunch of people that do SEO really well. A lot of those folks are going to be searching for weed near me, dispensary near me, a particular product, whatever that may be. They're going to start that journey and that experience online. And the problem that I've seen across most e-commerce experiences, especially when you're dealing with some of the iframes, the headless solutions like a Timber, like a Dispense, like Jane Roots or Dutchy Plus, it's getting better and better. But still, the vast majority are on the iframe experience. That iframe experience, to your point, captures that data. It's not necessarily being shared back readily. The other issue is that you lose control of that consumer's experience as soon as they go in the iframe. That is now Dutchy, right? It might still have great conversion rates. You might still be a successful entity. That's wonderful. But it all looks the same. If my dispensary has an iframe and your dispensary has an iframe and the five others that are in my region have an iframe, all of those websites look the same. 
there is no differentiation. Then you go down the rabbit hole of I've got essentially a glorified inventory listing with a bunch of made up names. I saw one the other day called Two Unicorns, One Poop. We can do better <laughs> from a naming convention standpoint, especially when there's an immense amount of white labeling going on for products. There's an immense amount of name changing. Hey, it's not selling through. I'm going to change the name. People do it all the time. There's no governing body that says that they can't. Not saying there should be, but it breaks consumer trust. And that's a huge problem. So if my website looks the same and then I can't tell the difference between my products, there's no product differentiation, that means they must all be the same. From a consumer psyche standpoint, I can't tell the difference. I might as well buy the cheapest one. Now we've just reinforced the behavior of following price compression. Why would I buy a $40, $60 eight instead of a $40 eight when they're both called the same thing? It's just a different brand. And as a novice consumer, I can't tell the difference. And at the end of the day, I still get high anyway. So who really cares? Now we're running into deeper problems where consumer education is on the forefront of being able to change that experience. So walking through now Terpley's application or your model, I've poked around on your website, of course. I should have asked you before we started interacting, what are some customer examples to where you can get a better feel for the application, but maybe you can clarify it obviously here for us too, is the Terpley, I don't want to call it an application, but is what Terpley is doing different for every client? Every client obviously has a different suite of products. They, in theory, are having an array of COAs that you're pulling this information from. The cannabinoids from a base level, the terpenes, those should be pretty consistent brand or business to business. So how does Terpley come in? Yeah, you hope, right? <laughs> but <laughs> as we know, cannabis is still being written right now. So I feel like every day I yep. pop up and I'm like, oh, there's a whole nother cannabinoid or a whole nother suite of, you know, compounds I got to pay attention to. But Sorry, with, my life. <laughs> yeah, with that information, I just want to understand, okay, maybe I'm a consumer. I'm coming to a, dis am I coming to a dispensary's website? Is this happening on the brand level? The brand is then guiding their consumers, maybe out of their suite of products. Hey, I don't know if I want an Indica Sativa hybrid, obviously as marketers and business owners, we know that those names are not the best names to use, but I always take the stance too. When the consumer uses that language, you want to be able to match, match that language, right? So how, how does Terpley get applied? Is it to the brand level? Is it to the dispensary level? And what is the customization for that consumer to really, I guess, give more of that hand-holding experience? Just you outline what it's like going into a dispensary. And God, I've been in over a hundred of them over my lifetime. And I still walk in and I'm like, oh, I don't know anything. Teach me something. And I'm looking to these bud tenders to educate me. Also, that's part of like my my toxic trait is I just want to learn from everybody always. And yeah. so anybody I interact with, I'm like, you're going to tell me your life story and tell me everything you know about cannabis. So I force these bud tenders through education, which I think is fun. And hopefully they learn through the process and I learn something on the other end of it. But I'm seeking that education. I know, like you said, traditional consumers, even when I'm shopping e-commerce in general, to me also, I think well done marketing is when it's happening subliminally and you don't realize you're being marketed to. So I think like an extension of this that we've employed is we've implemented a quiz onto our site. And that quiz is Hey, are you shopping for yourself? Or are you shopping for someone else? Are you looking for something daytime or nighttime? Is it pain motivated or recreation motivated? And the output of that quiz is, here's my product page for CBD versus here's my product page for THC. And we've seen even at that rudimentary level in application, people want to fill it out. Like to me, again, yes, I think 
dumb question. It's like, why do I need this silly little online thing to tell me what I need? But people are fucking filling it out. So I can only imagine what your your solution is driving for your clients. And so I just want to, again, understand like who is the client and what is the customization level that client can go in to guide their consumer based on maybe how they operate as a brand. Like we're really educational. And then guy or gal next door might be like, I just want to get you high. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're referring to is essentially the BuzzFeed questionnaire that we filled out so many of those when we were younger, right? It's like the Harry That's Potter right. house of finding good weed, right? It's your own little sorting hat. That's the entire ideology. And so if you really boil down our tool, obviously this is really boiling it down to the brass tacks. On the front end of the user experience, it's an equus. How can I handhold that customer through that experience, understanding what they're looking for to guide them and make them feel matched? It's very simple from a dollars and cents perspective. On the back half of the user experience, it's a review reward platform to be able to learn from that consumer, get customer feedback, product specific, linked to COAs, all valuable. To get back to your question, which is who is the consumer? The answer is yes, which is honestly the burden of choice. We started with retailers because the retailers are where we really saw the most need, where the differentiation was lacking and the opportunity was there. It's also a lot easier to sell into retailers at that juncture to then to sell into brands. Most brands don't have a very successful website. They don't, not a lot have a lot of traffic. Even ones that do have a lot of traffic, the ROI generally is fairly low. That is changing. It is getting better and better. People are becoming more and more brand loyal. You have loyalty providers that are now starting to adhere to brands. That, that is, I think, at a tipping point where direct-to-consumer is now becoming something that is reasonably coming through the pipeline, maybe not now, maybe not five years, but with legalization at some point in the future that I don't, I'm not smart enough to know what the answer is on when, um, people are setting up for it right? And they're trying to build that brand loyalty. So the way that it works right now, and I think this will help us level set and understand the format of Chirply. So first and foremost, it is not a replacement for your e-commerce, right? So we partner with Dutchie, Jane, Timber, Dispets. We partner with those e-commerce providers. We sit on top of their existing website. We also partner with the point of sale systems. So the point of sale systems is how we bring in live inventory. It's how we bring in purchase history. It's how we bring in product descriptions, things of that sort. Let so, me pause you really quick. So you're yeah. able to, for example, if I'm shopping on X dispensaries website through this quiz to try to get to a recommendation through the AI bud tender, it's updating the inventory or matching the inventory. Let's say someone just bought the last product that maybe would have been I don't know if prescribed is the right word, but suggested or recommended. Not, to the, me. not the right <laughs> word. Recommended to me. We can get to that. Then that product <laughs> would not show. Like it, it's that real yes. where it knows like, oh, this is the algorithm. And based on what I have in inventory, I'm going to promote these products based on what I have access to. Whoa. Okay. Go I on. Am a, I'm a firm believer in efficiency. That was ingrained in me very early at EY where we do not want to have reductive efforts. If we've already updated it somewhere, why would you update it again? And that's one of the biggest problems that we have with the siloing of technology stacks in cannabis right now is I do all this work to update my point of sale. And then inevitably, sometimes my point of sale doesn't talk to my econ. I do all this work updating this messaging, that messaging, and no one talks to each other. So we are 
so very focused on creating an ecosystem of cooperation with all of these partners. So if it's updated in your Blaze Point of Sale, we pull directives from the Blaze Point of Sale. You don't have to update it again in Turbway. What we do is we ask for a repository of COAs on the side. All that usually is a drop of a bunch of PDFs. We do all of the analysis of the COAs themselves and we link it to live inventory. So from a Lyft perspective for our clients, it's super, super easy. We basically sit on top of their existing website. It's a Google Tag Manager script or a very short JavaScript that sits in the global header. Then we remotely install. We do all of the API work with point of sale, with the loyalty providers and with the e-com providers. We remotely install it and then boom, it's on. It's wonderful. What that allows us to do is be a plug and play solution for those customers or for those retailers that are looking to differentiate but don't want to sacrifice the change. It, it costs a lot of money to change your point of sale. It costs a lot of money to change your e-com. Headache and people are resource restricted. It's too tough. Change fees are too high. So what we're able to do is be a plug and play on top of that existing experience to augment the e-commerce experience and serve as a better conversion funnel. That is the heart and soul of what Turplead does. What it does not do is it will not bring a business back from the brink of a failure. It's, that's not what it's intended for. It also won't necessarily bring a whole slew of new customers to your website. That's what friends in SEO and good web design and good all of those uh, components, that's what they are good at is bringing traffic to the site it's a set them up and knock them down situation. So those are our friends, the SEO providers. They bring the customers to a website, but you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. That's where we come in. We're a conversion funnel that is designed to convert the customers that do show up. Higher conversion, greater cart size, and then ultimately greater customer loyalty, retention, which all equates to greater lifetime value, which is about milking those customers for the dollars that they're worth for as long as you can that is how you maintain a profitable entity. Your other question, specifically surrounding the ecosystem, I think, was then if it, so our experience, we pull the live inventory in, we run it through our recommendation engine, and then we route a customer to the PDP. Then they're back in the Dutch or Jane experience. So it is, a, it is an intermediary in that process to remove decision bias and then it goes back into the existing experience. So it's designed to be incredibly seamless to your point where customers don't even know that that is an internal marketing strategy to market to the customers that are already on your website. I'm going to pause there before I get into the brand side of things, because knowing you, you probably have another question. <laughs> My brain is literally just processing this because you're speaking. So before I got into cannabis, I came from platforms and technology. So I used to work for a managed WordPress hosting platform. WordPress is the largest CMS on the internet. It's got an e-commerce component. So like I, I speak that language and coming into cannabis, it's been so challenging for a multitude of reasons that obviously you highlighted some. If you're in the industry, you're aware of just the fragmentation between platforms, the issues just in general with getting access to certain platforms because you're cannabis business or not. And I think you said something that I wanted to reiterate too for the listeners, because I think it's really important with anything. I believe, yes, you should absolutely have a website. It's great to hear that and I can understand why brands wouldn't necessarily have a website. I'm not selling on my website. Why would I even need to invest in this if I'm selling through a dispensary model? But 
my two cents is always you need to own your content. You need to own your URL. You need to own some domain on the yes. internet from a search perspective, just in general. But then when you're trying to bolt and integrate that into other technologies, other applications to guide that consumer, to handhold that consumer, it is really interesting. Just again, from personal experience, navigating this through our own brand, we go through all those challenges of, okay, well, I'm going to go invest in this advertising thing. And then when someone gets to my website, can my website actually convert someone? And so trying to spin up and invest your money into certain things, if you haven't taken care of your home base, which I think your website to some extent is home base, especially if you're the retailer, right? Because while you're not maybe making the, the sale from a regulated cannabis perspective, but on the hemp side, we're certainly able to make those points of sale on e-commerce. To me, again, the website is the, okay, what products do you have? I can't even express how many times I've gone to a new state, new city that has legal cannabis, and I'm looking for a certain brand or product because I am somewhat educated. And if that dispensary website or that solution can't show me what I'm looking for, it's an immediate no. And half the time I'll end up in that dispensary anyways. And I realize, oh my God, they did have the product I wanted, but nobody picked up the phone. Nobody had the ups, the website updated. And there's obviously a bigger fragmentation happening, but I, I just, I wanted to highlight what you were saying, what Terpley's benefit and ad is. It's not to drive people. It's, hey, whoever else, email marketing, SEO marketing, good brand recognition, SEO yeah. proximity search, you got here. Now what? And now I got to convert that person. So yeah, so maybe a follow-up to that is on the experience of the consumer. You're talking about loyalty. I think loyalty is obviously really interesting just because, yeah, you it's cheaper to acquire a customer and keep that customer than it is to go get a new customer. So yes, you want volume and scale, but you also want to make sure your current customers are happy. You were talking about loyalty. And again, I'm also thinking through like the repeatability from a consumer perspective. What, what even if it's like general data points or general numbers, what are you seeing in terms of repeat customers using Terpley with your clients multiple times? Is there some sort of gamification aspect? Just, I don't know, yeah. I guess if I took the quiz once to tell me what Harry Potter house I'm in, don't I know what Harry Potter house I'm in? Why would I take the quiz again unless it's a different quiz? You know what I mean? Sure. So Absolutely. And that's where selecting different effects, you might take it one time to look for a sleepy, sedated flower, but you might take it another time and look for an energizing pre-roll. So there's just differences that you have. The reusability of the tool also lends into the true AI and machine learning components of it, which is the modification of future recommendations based off of your previous reviews. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, uh, Laura, thank you for seeing us. 
we really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to researchcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp-derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. Oh, so that's cool. So it actually learns and adapts with each end consumer. If you rated a high little old THC flower highly for sleep, the next time you come in and that product's out of stock, that happens all the time. Instead of giving you a random indica, it'll match you to a product that's chemically the same or similar as a previous experience you've already rated highly. At what point is the customer rating or going back into the system? Great question. And this, I think, lends perfectly into your conversation specifically about loyalty. So there's several components that we can do. And the, the team over at Alpine IQ, they're also Texas natives, if you didn't know that. West and Nick. Lived, I, I actually originally met them because I heard Nick on a podcast and he goes, I'm Nick Pascal. I'm the CEO of Alpine IQ and I live in Alito, Texas. And I was in Bedford at the time and I was like, Nobody, no, can we be friends? <laughs> I don't want anything from you. I literally just want to be a friend because I'm going crazy talking to oil and gas people here in Dallas. And so they've been a longtime partner, our very first one, even before we launched. And the ideology there is there's several different ways that you can incentivize a customer to go through the experience the first time, repeat times, and they come back. So painting a picture here, the first time you go through this process, it's going to give you your recommendation and it's going to go, hey, Shada, thanks for using our tool. Since you're a first time user, get 100 points. Here's headless login into Alpine IQ. You put in your email or your phone number. It'll send you a text or an email. You get a six-digit code. You're logged in to AIQ. Those points are automatically in your wallet on the front end of the experience. Now you get your recommendations and you're a little bit richer. Might as well spend it. So that's the first-time use. Subsequent uses will give additional points at a very reduced rate. I'd say 100 for the first time, 10 for every subsequent time. Customers don't know that's 20 cents but they just see incentive. They see free points. Oh, I'm going to come back to keep doing this. I might as well get a recommendation every day. And if they're getting a recommendation every day, they're constantly engaging with your website. That's how we do it from the front half of the UX. What that also does is it allows us to have tracking mechanisms. When you logged into AIQ, I can now track a Terply versus non-Terply customer in the Alpine IQ dashboard automatically. So we have fully baked recipes where I can see a side-by-side analysis of how did Shana's purchasing timing, cart size, time to return, what her customer lifetime value is between not using Terply and getting a Terply recommendation. How does that change? Then what we're able to do is we can re-engage those customers. Hey, Shada, last time you were here, you got this wedding egg for sleep. How did we do? Come back, leave a review, earn more loyalty points. When they click back, come back and leave a review, Customers will land on what we've dubbed the full page embedded version of their tool. The same exact functionality as the plugin. It's just its own unique URL. Also, how we impact tool marketing opportunities. QR codes in the store. I'll buy the register in, I call them stocking stuffers in your delivery and pickup orders. Come back, leave a review, earn more loyalty points. Scan that QR code. They're back onto the website. They're back into this experience. 
most importantly, the back of the purchasing funnel. So what we'll offer is a increased level of rewards for customers leaving reviews. That is how we provide that incentive. And reviews for any product are a very finicky thing. One, if they're not verified, it's just not very good. Two, most people leave reviews on products. I can't remember the last time I voluntarily went out and left a review on products unless it sucked. That is like the only time is if I'm getting it at one star. And that just severely skews feedback. But by providing incentive that has nothing to do with the level of the rating, but just the fact that you left the rating in general, it provides a culture of being an engaged and invested customer in this process. What that actually relates to in terms of dollars and cents. Generally speaking, we see about a 2x increase in lifetime value for a customer just for getting a recommendation. I got a recommendation. I enjoyed the experience. My lifetime value just doubled. Great. That's wonderful. When they leave a review, that number is usually 5 to 7x. That is an invested customer that they've returned to the website. Not only have they purchased, but they came back. They did. They put effort into reviewing, and then you incentivize for them, incentivize them to do that. Now you've got this invested customer that's really loyal, not just in your loyalty program and tracked, but also loyal to the experience that you've been trying to foster. And it's the same ideology that dispensaries have put so much effort into in the in-store experience, but they've neglected the online experience because nothing has existed to really guide and help a customer to get that blood tender experience online. When it comes to these reviews, just from my perspective to a couple questions, do these reviews then exist? Who owns the review? Where does the review live? In my side of the hemp space world and maybe even just general dispensaries too, Google lets you have a Google My Business listing. So I'm trying to drive customers to leave reviews on Google. To your point of product reviews, there are certain applications. If you're in Shopify as your e-commerce, which obviously is not applicable to regulated cannabis, but I know hemp brands who are using it. I see some of these friends of mine who have similar brands and it, I'm leaving a review on this particular vape product I just bought. But yes, it warrants, is this verified? But also where can I use that review? I think I'm just curious from your perspective where like where does the review go and how does that get blasted out? Is it more just internal feedback than the brand has of people giving feedback or is it actually being used as marketing back out to new customers saying like, hey, Eric really liked this wedding cake cart. And if you're being served now wedding cake, here's here's this quote from Eric. Is that then shareable reviews from this marketing is perspective? It's fine. This is the fun stuff. Okay, so I'm going to speak current and I'll speak future. Okay. So current state one, the overarching thing I want to really point out is that we believe that all of this data is owned by our retail partners. I don't own this data. It's not mine. So our retail partners ask for their information. It's theirs. What format would you like it? Not, oh, you got to jump through a bunch of hoops to get it. It's theirs. Is it being leveraged back into better recommendations across board? Absolutely, yes. Do we benefit from it? Also, absolutely, yes. But it is really theirs. And there's a certain data set um, both on the front and the back half, that is extremely valuable. So I want to talk about the data that we're collecting and leveraging back to our retail partners first, and then I'll talk about the what happens with the reviews. So on the front half of the user experience, if you think about the experience that the end consumer is going through, they're basically filling out a questionnaire. How do you want to feel? How do you want to consume? 
What potency do you want? What terpene content do you want? What price are you willing to pay for that experience? Five super valuable zero-party data points has nothing to do with what sold through. This is what do you want, which should be leveraged back down into what we cultivate, what we process, how we have appropriate product mix. Are we missing? Are customers asking for this experience over and over? We don't have an optimal recommendation in our inventory because it's a gap in our inventory mix. Just a really quick dumb question. Those kind of general questions, just my brain is thinking, okay, if I'm a customer filling this out and I have a limited budget, I want to, I don't know what the price breaks are, but I'm just qualifying that this is what I think I'm hearing. I only want to spend like less than $20. Is that then taken into account with the products that are being served to me? It's these fit under this price point. And so I'm not going to be shown products in this price point because I've already indicated that I'm fitting under a certain budget. Yes, as long as they exist. If I asked for a pre-roll $75 or above, you probably won't get, but it will take into consideration all of the responses and then give the best mix of what criteria has been met and has not been met. That's one of the things we're working on now, being able to really pick out even more decision bias and ultimately give a, we matched you to this because of this and this. Now we're talking. Now it's like, all right, this met all of my criteria or it met all but the one criteria I didn't really care about that much, but that's okay. So that's the current and future state of that. We're also reporting all of this information back to the retail partner. So we're giving them a, hey, this is the percentage of customers that look for this format, this price point, this effect, and then this terpene content, and then every cut of that information. Here's what your customers are looking for a pre-roll right? Sedated is resonating more than relaxed. Why? No idea. But that's what your customers are asking for. So now from a marketing perspective, we should be using the vernacular that customers are responding well to and they're asking for on the front end. How do you get, I guess maybe it's like a sub layer of a question to, again, your website is using the term AI. It's funny, I just watched a documentary on killer robots on Netflix, which just came out, which is wildly interesting on how the government's going to use AI or already is using AI. I'm listening to a podcast right now talking about AI. I take the stance of it's here, let's use it. But understanding AI has a long runway, how much interaction is happening to where is the customer actually typing back to the AI? Are they, you're saying, hey, you said you wanted something sedating. Is it here are these products or is it, I'm actually looking for something with this, that, and the other, or can you tell me more about this chirping? Like I came in asking for linalool, but now you're presenting me a product with linalool and myrcene. I don't know what myrcene is. Can you educate me on myrcene? Like how interactive is the conversation? And so also then where is the customer able to input different vernacular that then, which that would be great. Obviously, if you're having like right. a chat and then the person is telling you exactly what they want and your service is then crunching the numbers and the points of like, we tallied 150 times the word sedative was used over three times the word right. relaxing was used. Okay, obviously that's giving some weight to then that particular word. So I just want to unpack that a little bit more too. And that's a really deep, a very deep and very, honestly, when you come, when it comes to regulation, when it comes to IP, that is a very, it is a tumultuous environment right now to give you, once again, like the current state. So right now it is not interactive from a chat functionality perspective. What we found when we were originally creating the product is that a lot of people hate chatbots. Mm. They hate chatbots. They see a chatbot in the corner and it, because they sucked. Yeah. They were so bad with mm. ChatGPT with all of these other advancements, all of a sudden that has changed rapidly, right? 
people are all of a sudden excited by that idea. When a year, less than a year ago, it was like, screw chatbots. I hate dealing with them. The automated process through Amazon. Yeah, I want to talk to a human. Myself, like, it was the worst, right? Now that all of a sudden overnight changed. However, with that, and the answer to your question of when is that going to be available, all in due time. I'll just put it that way, right? There's opportunity. The, this is called, to be blunt, the honest answer is that the problem that companies are having right now is that they don't know if the data that they input into ChatGPT or any of these LLMs is theirs anymore. As soon as I put our proprietary data set into this large language model, is it now everyone's? That's a huge problem. Because right now, with the way that AI really works, is there's a lot of subpar AI tools out there. There's other, you could find one that's a chat GPT fueled cannabis recommendation engine if you just search it. And what it's going to be is it's just going to pull from Leafly. And it's going to give you generic responses through an AI chatbot that says, hey, you should go smoke blue dreams for sleep. It's a sativa. That's wrong. But okay. Also, we don't know if that blue dreams at that dispensary is actually what it is. But that's another, right? It's the quality of the information. And so data is the new oil. Data is the new gold. So what we have in our database is a direct tie between COA and user outcome on a person-by-person basis. That's a highly valuable data set. As soon as I put that into chat GPT, our fear is now it's no longer proprietary. Everyone gets this. That's what we're working through right now. However, there are opportunities to leverage it right now. So we're about to launch the first chat GPT-based recommendation engine fueled on reviews. That exists, right? So... The way that's, that it's working, and we've strayed away from Edible's recommendations at the initial onset of our business because our program was based on terpenes and cannabinoids. Edibles are different. They should be treated differently. They are mostly isolates. Some have re- reinitiated with terpene and cannabinoid profiles after processing, but most are isolates, and then you add in melatonin, you add in caffeine. It's just a different level of nuance. You need to add in adaptogens. It's just different. Right. So what we've created is a chat GPT model that's able to read through product descriptions, ingredients listings, and then most importantly, our data set of edibles recommend or edibles refuse to be able to give a more holistic approach to providing edibles recommendations that we're okay with being able to do right now. And so that's going to be launching here in beta in the next week or so, which is very right. exciting. We're super pumped. And so there's an opportunity now. But the big thing, honestly, when it comes to true AI, and I want to be upfront about this as well, is there is not enough data in cannabis for anything to be true AI. It doesn't exist. It's a nascent industry that does not have enough longevity to be true AI. We readily admit that. We use techniques in machine learning, techniques in AI to be able to create a model that will teach itself to get to that point. It doesn't exist yet. It just can't. That's okay. Because what we're able to provide is still an experience and a learning model that is able to improve the end consumer experience. That is what we're passionate about is bringing truth to the industry that's marred in this information. That's what our primary focus is. Yeah, obviously it's happening so rapidly that it's hard to get a hold on it. But at the same time, I think that was an interesting comment in the podcast I was listening to. They were saying, ChatGPT really took off this past December. And I'm thinking, 
surely we had access to it before then, but not in this magnitude. And I think the chat GPT that we're even on from a public level, there's at least four, five, seven, ten other versions that are already being worked on. And so how do you reconcile that to your point, understanding the points of input for the data, also the protection of the data from a business perspective, IP perspective, but also from a business owner perspective, I think a lot of us in the industry aren't operating with data sets because to your point too, we don't really have a lot of history to reflect back on and all of a sudden hasn't really been captured. So I totally understand the just reality of our situation as an industry, but am really excited to just be connected to you and, and continue to see what your business is applying into this conversation into this equation because it is coming and it is obviously already here in some circumstances. And I think whether a consumer will readily admit it or not when presented with the opportunity to have some sort of engagement to better understand their experience, especially when it comes to cannabis, because it is a scary, daunting, perhaps experience, yes, to walk into a dispensary. Like I shared, even I sometimes am like, remind me again, rosin versus resin and why I care about one or the other and going in those rabbit holes. And so it's definitely a need. These consumers, especially new consumers, they're left in the dark. And I think any yep. good brand in the industry wants to obviously be here, not just for today, but be here for tomorrow too. And so you have to understand how do you acquire that customer and meet them where they're at? And then how do you grow with that consumer? And so it's interesting to hear to the inputs and the outputs. So leveraging these reviews to then get more data, more information that can then be fed to the brand of how they're going to structure and set things up. I guess maybe final question, we didn't touch on it, but we, I alluded to it, you alluded to it. From a brand perspective, I think brands and obviously even including dispensaries in this spin of the question I'm going to ask, but marketing, there's competition like no other. There's so many competing brands for these consumers' attentions. How does that maybe get dealt with from a Terpley perspective? Is it something that me as a dispensary owner Maybe I have, I don't know if this is like can of worms I'm opening up here. Again, I operate in the hemp space, so I can only imagine what I've observed and heard from the regulated space through my guests and through my own experiences. But sometimes there's a pay to play. Like you want placement at my dispensary, you're going to need to pay for this box or this shelf, so to speak. Is there some, hey, I'm the dispensary. I've got this platform that's going to guide my customers. You want to be the referred one? You're going to pay me to be the referred brand. And getting into how these brands actually start to differentiate themselves is they're at the mercy of the dispensary to be selling their brand to the consumer. And the consumers, I just want to spend the least amount of money. It's, I don't want you to spend the least. I do, but I also want to get you the products that are the going right to move thing. or the brands yeah. that we like to support. So just want to dive into the brand as like a, another Yeah, absolutely. Area. So there's multiple aspects here that I want to touch on. So first and foremost, I want to touch on the branding or the marketing of the retailer itself. Because it's something you asked about and I didn't get a chance to, or I didn't, I rambled, you know me. And <laughs> I didn't actually answer. I didn't actually answer it. The branding from the retailer perspective. So we do have a white label version of our tool that we take their brand style guide, their brand imaging, their brand messaging to reinforce the message that they want to portray to their customers. That is all rolling into what we were mentioning before about owning your e-commerce experience. You being in charge of the way that the consumer interacts. You being in charge of the messaging that they hear. We're able to do that and then reinforce that image. That goes hand in hand with the opportunity for brands. Shane, I think you should come join Turpley as our business strategist because you're talking about all the things that we're working on right now. There is an opportunity and it's at fine line we must dance. 
there's an opportunity to sign brands and work directly on their websites, almost as a strain finder. Hey, what for my specific portfolio would a customer want to be matched to? What works best for them? That gives the brand good understanding of what customers are asking for, good feedback on those products. That is going to significantly improve R&D opportunities. What do we make next? What's missing from our portfolio? Same ideology for our inventory mix from a retailer perspective. We can leverage that value back down to brands. The only inhibitor is that for brands, there isn't a good solution right now that bridges the gap for live inventory for them. Unfortunately, there just isn't. You can scrape that information. A lot of providers do it. They do it pretty well. Still not right completely. I found that in the space for technology providers in general, there is always, every metric you see will always be slightly different. <laughs> every dollar of inventory will always be slightly different. You're so meaning specifically, sorry, for you're meaning for if I'm a brand and I, let's say, make, I don't know, extracts and I put those extracts into cartridges and I put those extracts into edibles, I as the brand would have Terply on my site not just to say, hey, Eric, you're visiting Shada Succulent Strawberry, whatever. It's sure. now what of Shada Succulent Strawberry products does Eric like? It's also then you're saying it's difficult to then push Eric into dispensary A and dispensary B and dispensary D actually have the products that you... One hand now. Yes, yes, got it, got it. Yes. Now that is a huge nightmare, but that would be... Oh my gosh, that would be wonderful if, yeah, I'm the brand and I'm like trying to get R&D to influence either products that are successful or products that aren't successful. Or like you highlighted, what could I, what are customers asking for that I don't offer? But then that missing link of, okay, now go get those products somewhere. Cause yeah. Now uh, what? Yeah. It's like, I give you a recommendation. Here's the best product. You click on it and I can't find yeah. it anywhere. Now I'm pissed. Now I'm, I feel jaded as an end consumer, right? That sucks. You match me to something and I can't find it. I can't it. have it. To a certain degree, though, from a psyche perspective, now I really want it. So yeah, I'm going to go sure. find it. So it depends how deeply we want to influence these folks. But at the end of the day, that is a problem from the brand side that we're trying to find ways to circumvent, right? We can use a pistol who helps support those. Hey, here's the inventory that's live right now. We can work with those friends and be able to, to guide a customer at least to a PDP. At a bare minimum, we can at least give them the information and match them to a product that's in the portfolio. Then you have opportunities with partners like Jane, where they have Jane brands as a as an opportunity from a menu perspective that does link to the Jane e-coms for those um, dispensaries that have that live inventory. However, I might be a brand here in Colorado that's in 250 dispensaries, but Jane only color, covers 70 of them. Still good, but not complete, right? So those are just some of the technology siloing issues that we're still running into from a brand's perspective. With that being said, we can still drive immense value. We can still reinforce their brand image. We can still give them the information and provide customers with the education and opportunity to learn more about that brand. Now to the future state stuff that you're talking about for placement. This is a really exciting, but honestly slippery slope because we as a company are focused on, as I mentioned, bringing truth to cannabis. As soon as I bring monetary compensation into the mix, do you sacrifice truth? That's really tough, right? Because you want to be able to provide customers with the best experience, but you also want to be able to empower the retailers that need help right now. So how do you draw that delicate balance? So what we're looking at 
piloting right now, actually this month as well as at one of our very first partners up in Michigan is a sponsored product. So that top recommendation slot, can we say, hey, this is recommended by your retailer or this is a sponsored product. It must be marked as a sponsored product. I do not want to insinuate that this is the best of the best number one recommendation without also demonstrating, yes, people are receiving money for this. So that's one line that we have drawn from an ethos perspective. The more important line that we've drawn for an ethos perspective is that it must match the criteria on which you are given the recommendation. If I give a poor recommendation just because it's a sponsored product, you break trust even more, right? As soon as a customer comes in, this is a age-old example where I asked for a Indica and I was up until two, in the, two o'clock in the morning cracked out, that brand might be dead to me. I'm definitely not going back to that retailer because I don't believe anything that they say to me anymore. And so for Terpley, we have to maintain the ethos of we are giving a science-backed recommendation. So it still must fall within the confines of why we are giving the recommendation. But if it fits and it's a good product and it is sponsored, it can show up in that top slot at a higher level of click-through rate in order to facilitate additional conversions, additional opportunities for a customer to engage. The other cool things that we're working on is further differentiation. And this is another future state item, pipe dream, and how do we actually make it happen is a different question, but badging principles, right? Can I help differentiate a product even more? Twitter check, purply verified. Hey, I actually have the chemistry. I have the COA for this product. It's not a random ass recommendation. It backed in the underlying COA for this batch. That would be a really cool thing that many people would care about. Many people wouldn't. But I could also have badges for Black-owned brands, women-owned brands, LGBTQ ally brands. Any of those further differentiators that customers are looking for a way to learn more about those brands. At the end of our process, we also have a little GIF when the screen is loading. And our recommendations are very fast. We actually have the GIF so people think it's thinking but it usually knows almost instantaneously what the right one is, but it's a great opportunity. Right now it's for our turtly branded, just Zach Galifianakis from The Hangover doing his calculations. And we've had some really funny ones that our, our white label customers have come up with to reinforce what they like. But I saw one, Housing Works Hub in New York is launching one that reinforces their message as Housing Works as an organization, right? Now we're driving additional brand value for that retailer for a sponsored products opportunity, that could easily be an opportunity to reinforce whatever that highlight is in that moment of purchase, right? So tons of different opportunities. The We'll find out what works the best and the best way to, to navigate it in the future. But these are the things that are coming through the pipeline in order to continually reinforce what customer behavior we want in the future. Yeah, everything you're saying, I feel like I could keep talking and going on. It's super fascinating and it's exciting because I feel like you're just scratching the surface. And usually I like to end my episodes by having my guests end on a high note. So like projecting into the future, but I feel like so much of what you shared was just the evolution of where Terpley is going and the reality and the challenges that you were trying to resolve, not only for your client who is the business dispensary retail owner, but ultimately for that consumer so that they have some assurance with 
what process they are subjecting themselves to, which ultimately leads them towards the product that, you know, again, I, I always talk on the podcast. My listeners hopefully know this. We are a consumer packaged goods industry, first and foremost, now consumer being the emphasis. And so what we do really does matter for the end consumer, depending on if they have a positive experience, negative experience. That's not to say that every product is right for every person. And part of that experience is trying it. Like you you just, you don't know until you smoke something, you eat something, maybe you decide, hey, edibles aren't for me. I don't like waiting five, 10, 30 hour long to feel the effects, but creating a bumper rails, so to speak, to allow that consumer to explore safely, confidently and comfortably. But on that note, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to end uh, your discussion with on a high note? I think it's in the exact same vein that you're talking about. We like to consider Terpley as one of the largest medical studies that's out there. Not a lot of people are tying direct COAs to user outcomes. I can't claim that it's a medical study, just to preface it, because we don't give recommendations that are medical in nature, but we are aggregating the information to understand how people are reacting. The ultimate goal of our company is to provide a better consumer experience. We're trying to provide that level of confidence for a customer. Right now, a customer goes in and they just aren't sure. And from a psychosomatic standpoint, because cannabis is still psychedelic, it is still psychosomatic. If I feel anxious about what's going to happen to me when I consume this, I'm going to feel anxious after I consume it. How can we remove that anxiety? How can we remove that paranoia on the front end because customers are confident that they're going to have a consistent experience every time? That this, what worked for them from a recreational or more importantly, from a medical standpoint, this worked for me time A, it's gonna work for me time B, C, D, E, F, and into the future. Now I'm a loyal customer to all of these things because it helps me. That is why we started this thing. That is where we see this going. And ultimately, to your point, the consumer is what's the most important thing. How can we help them? This is a healing medicine. In many rights, it is also a fun recreational medicine in many rights. How can we bridge the gap between those two and provide a consistent experience for everybody? That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. 
And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at the Shada Tarabi.